Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. All right, today's portion of the scripture, uh, or this portion of the scripture, comes from Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord, and when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. This is John 20, verses 19 to 22. And for context, this is when Jesus appears to his disciples after he has ascended to the Father. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. So I'm pretty fascinated about memories, and in particular, our first memories. I kind of have a theory going that our first memories are either of, like, total bliss and joy, or they're from, like, fear, like, you remember something because you were really, really afraid. I'm curious uh, if you could categorize your first memories in those two categories. So, like, who has their first memory because it was, like, awesome, and they always will remember how great it was? Okay, a few. What about fear? Something really scary that took place, and it seared into your mind. That's about 50-50. And the rest of you guys are, like, just neutral things like watching SpongeBob SquarePants or something, like something that just really didn't hold much meaning? Okay, cool. 
I, uh, one of my first memories was learning to swim. I remember very clearly at the age of 15, just kidding, I remember very clearly <laughs> as a young, young child uh, going to swim lessons in this woman's backyard with her crepe myrtle blossoms floating in the pool. And quickly thereafter going to a neighborhood pool with my dad, and my dad was uh, talking with a neighbor facing away from me. I was standing on the edge, and I thought it'd be really, really fun, as kids often do, thought it'd be really fun to just to jump on my dad, you know? And so I took a huge leap off the edge, and I learned a lesson that I've learned throughout the rest of my life, which is I cannot jump. And I missed my father, and I went straight to the bottom, just beyond uh, my reach of his legs, and I just remember being on the bottom of that pool and looking up at his pasty legs, not being able to breathe. Now, the lifeguard, after a little bit, saw me, blew his whistle, started doing his Baywatch run, and my father just was like, oh, okay, here you go. Thanks. You know, it was like the most worthless lifeguard save ever, but I remember that so very clearly, so very clearly. I remember that moment of the inability to breathe. We have few of those moments in our days where we quickly realize the gift that we have uh, to breathe and how often we take that for granted, whether that is being on the bottom of a pool or bottom of a dog pile or being in high elevation and short of breath or having a scary moment in the ocean or having the wind knocked out of you. These are moments where you go, oh, it's really nice to be able to breathe. And from the very first moment of our life, being human is this ability to be able to breathe. Breathing, though, has had a couple really hard years, hasn't it? The pandemic has changed how we thought of breathing, how we think of breathing. Has anyone, like, learned during the pandemic to hold your breath when you're walking in public through a crowd and you still are kind of doing it? Like, it's, like, embedded in you now? Like, breathing has had a rough season or even the muffled breathing of wearing a mask or what happens when you wear a mask, you realize that your breath often smells and you wondered if it was always like that. It's been a, breathing has had a rough go at it lately. But breathing is a part of being human. Uh, I think it's actually kind of crazy, this incredible, beautiful mystery we have with breathing. It is said that we breathe around 22,000 times a day. 22,000 times a day, we're partaking in this Incredible gift of breathing. 22,000 times a day, our lives are sustained and our bodies are nourished by our ability to take in oxygen and release carbon dioxide. And this gift goes with us wherever we go. I doubt that you walked into this room and thought, I wonder if there's enough air for everybody, right? You probably just assumed that like, we're gonna be fine. Um, but I do have like a, I have a weird theory though you know how yawns are contagious? Have you thought about that? Like yawns are contagious? Do you think there's a part of our subconscious that sees someone else sucking in a bunch of oxygen and you're worried that maybe you're not gonna have enough? Like there's a big, a big run on air, so you're like, I gotta get mine while it's hot, you know? Anyone has had that theory? Okay, me either, me either. I don't think that actually is how it works, but breathing is not only a pillar of being alive, but it's crucial for our health. So how about right now, just take a breath. There you go. And in that one breath, you have taken into your lungs more molecules from the air than there are grains of sand in all of the world's beaches. 
in that one breath, we inhale and exhale 30 pounds of airborne molecules every single day. That's heavier than the food and the liquids we eat and drink. All of this through our breaths. And what science is starting to teach us is the way in which we breathe matters. Studies have concluded that our breathing habits directly correlate with our physical, emotional, mental health, like they're directly correlated, they're connected. Biochemists have now discovered that deep breathing, so breathing more deeply than we usually do, creates and initiates brain development, it boosts our immune system, it regulates our emotions, it actually physically strengthens our body, even our bones. This week, um, as a pastor, I've decided to do a deep dive on the science of breathing after many TED Talks and reading articles of words I don't understand and watching YouTube videos. My conclusion is this, that science teaches us that it's incredibly difficult for us to control our mind and change our body, but we can change how we breathe, and if we change how we breathe, we will change both our mind and our body all through our ability to breathe differently. And there's something even more surprising. The data suggests that a majority of people, their breathing habits are inadequate. We're not breathing well. It's not that we need to breathe more often, but it's actually we need to learn to breathe more deeply. We have greater capacity in our lungs, but we have grown accustomed to living short of breath. So take a moment now, and again, breathe, but this time, do it more deeply. Take a deeper breath. Push the air out a little bit more than you usually do. Take it in a little bit deeper than you usually do. And notice the greater capacity that you have inside of you. There always could have been more, but we have grown used to living on shallow breaths. But the good news is that we can learn to breathe again. And so it is with our life with the Spirit. This series and this sermon in particular is an invitation to learn to breathe differently. It's a beautiful thing that we find in our text, our sacred text, that both in the Hebrew and in the Greek languages, the word for spirit, the Holy Spirit that, we've been, that we're gonna be talking about in these 50 days, the word spirit is interchangeable with that word of wind and breath. Anytime you see the word spirit in scripture, you could easily just retranslate that breath or wind. And what we see throughout our scripture is this interchange and this connection between the spirit's work and that of breath is scattered throughout our sacred text. From the very beginning, we see God's power displayed in our ability to breathe. Genesis 2 accounts God's creating of humanity. Genesis 2 verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Notice how God breathed into man through his nostrils. God never ordained mouth breathing. Can I get an amen? That maybe happened in the fall. <laughs> uh, anyways, sorry. God breathed through his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Was his body already there? Yes, it was. But he didn't have the breath and therefore the spirit of a living person. It wasn't until God breathed or spirited into that person that he was fully alive. Then we have this critical moment we heard earlier in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 
was written in a tragic moment in Israel's history. The people of God had turned from God and God's ways, and because of that, the Babylonians came in, they conquered Israel, they destroyed some of the most important places that had Israel held, and many people were taken off as captives and exiles. And not only were they away from their homeland, but Ezekiel 10, I find this fascinating, describes that the Spirit of the Lord was seen leaving the temple. The people actually saw the Spirit of God leaving the temple, the place where God's presence was most known at that time. And they could see the Spirit leaving, and the people lost everything. But as we heard, Ezekiel 37, the prophet says that God gave this man Ezekiel a vision, and, and it took place in a valley, in a low place, a place where it feels like life isn't flourishing, where it's empty place where bones were scattered, the remnant and the reminder of once there were, they were people but no longer. But then God tells Ezekiel to speak to these bones. And mirroring Genesis 2, muscle and flesh, it covered the bones. The people, or the, there were bodies there, but they weren't fully alive until, in verse 9, God said to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it. This is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breath. From the four winds and breathe into these slain so that they may live. And so I prophesied and commanded as, as, as God commanded me. And the breath entered them and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. When they thought the story was over, there was the breath of God that could do something more. They had a future. They had life again, but they had to learn to breathe and to receive the breath of God. It wasn't something that they had to do to achieve they didn't have to strive harder to earn the breath of God. It was over with. But the same spirit that they saw leaving the temple, it found the people of God far, far from home when they were hopeless, when they were lifeless. And God showed up and just showed them that there was life again. And the spirit breathed into them again. We find the breath of God, interestingly, in this incredibly fascinating exchange between this man named Nicodemus and Jesus. The, Nicodemus was the moral elite of the day. He was like one of the most uh, powerful uh, scholars and priests of that day, and yet he knew he was missing something. And so he comes to Jesus at night, and Jesus uh, tells this man that he has to be born again. But instead of being born from the law, instead of being born from religion, he says, you need to be born again through the Spirit. And then he says, the wind blows where it wishes. And Jesus invites him to see that God was doing something else. He, he couldn't achieve that, that the Spirit of God was going to have to re, rebirth him, give him life again. We see here wind, breath. Spirit all intermingling, and upon the cross says that when Jesus was ready to go, he breathed his last breath and he surrendered his spirit. He gave up his spirit. And with that, all hope, all belief that Jesus was starting something new with these disciples, all expectations that died on the cross with him, and fear and confusion began to raise up in the people that were following Jesus. Now, what do we often tell people who are panicked and afraid? We look at them and we say, take a breath, take a breath. It's gonna be okay. And so these disciples were so petrified, 
They were confused. Everything that they had hung their life upon, it was dead and it was buried. It was gone. There was no hope. And then Jesus shows up in their room of despair, in their room of anxiety that was locked because of their fear. And Jesus shows up in that room and says this to them, peace be with you. And after he said that, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. But that wasn't enough. Words were not enough. They needed something more. Verse 22, it says, and with that, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Breath, spirit. Jesus met these friends who thought it was over with. And just like the valley of dry bones, they thought everything was lost. But Jesus breathed life into them again and even commanded to them, demanded that they learn to receive the Holy Spirit as they breathe in this presence again. And the rest of the story was written not merely because Jesus died and rose from the dead, but the rest of the story was written and we're here today because the Spirit was at work in the church, that the Spirit was moving, it was filling the people People had learned to receive the Holy Spirit and breathe in God's presence, and they were empowered by God's presence to change the world. The Spirit began to meddle in this world. It upended the kingdoms and the power structures of the world. It defied cultural and racial lines. It blew past empty religion. It subverted the power structures, and it brought people to Christ. And it was all because people were learning to breathe in the Spirit the world was then transformed. And something that I absolutely love, what makes this even more beautiful to me, is what the sacred, most sacred name for God is in the Jewish tradition. The most sacred name for God in the Jewish tradition is this word right here. There's some in the Jewish tradition that won't say the word Yahweh because it's so sacred, it's so precious. God's spirit is so holy, we shouldn't even utter its, its name. We most commonly translate Yahweh, I am who I am. God gives this name to Moses when he was starting over in his life. And many people, um, even in the Jewish tradition, when they would, uh, scribes would write the word Yahweh, they have to use a new utensil because they wouldn't want to use anything that was blemished by common and ordinary words, Yahweh, I am who I am. Something that's unique about this word is because it's such an ancient word, uh, we don't have vowels for how it was originally used, so we don't know the tense. So it could be I am who I am, or it it could be also translated, I was who I was. This is God's name. I was who I was, or I will be who I will be. I wonder which one is it. And I also wonder if God loves that it's all of these things wrapped in one beautiful mystery that we have, that this is who God is, expansive, it belongs outside of time. But something that's even more beautiful about this name, Yahweh, many Jewish scholars and rabbis think that God chose this name because it is the sound of breath, Yahweh, it's the sound of breath breath that we were taken in. This name that's way too sacred to even utter, it's way too sacred to use common words. We can't get away from it. 
It's deeply, it's intrinsically a part of being human. It's living with Yahweh 22,000 times a day, Yahweh. Speaking God's name as God's presence fills our lungs. It sustains our lives all with God's Yahweh presence. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I was who I was. Is a part of you. Whether it was Adam in the garden or the bones in this valley or disciples in prison to fear, God's solution has always been for us to learn to breathe, to receive God's spirit, not to try harder, learn more, hate yourself more, be cloaked in shame more, achieve more, accomplish more. No, God's plan is breathe. Just breathe. Receive this gift. Receive this grace. Learn to take in my presence. In the same way that I think majority of us have learned to live short of breath, I think it is with many of our souls. I think most of us in this room are living short of soul breath. And I think the first work of the Spirit in our lives might be to teach us to learn to breathe more deeply. I wonder even if the Spirit would want to say over the vine, over a community like us, I know, I know how short of breath you are. I know how tired you are, how depleted you feel, how this world has knocked the wind out of you. Your shortness of breath maybe is just your soul telling you, it's hungry for me. If you can learn to breathe, I haven't left you. In fact, I want to tell you there's more. You have greater capacity in you, not greater capacity to accomplish or achieve, but greater capacity to receive me, to learn to breathe more deeply. Friends, the Spirit of God is the respirator for your soul. It is who God's Spirit is and what God is, wants to be in your life. And what is breathing in the Spirit doing in people's life, what we see throughout Scripture, this learning to breathe the Spirit, it brings things to life again. It replaces fear with hope, and it reminds people that they are never separated from God. The Spirit at work in your life wants to just for you to learn that you are never separated from God's presence, just as the air that you're breathing in right now. And I believe perhaps our greatest mistake is not in our inability to make it on our own. I think our great mistake is that we thought we were supposed to make it on our own to begin with. Spiritual maturity is not displayed when we have graduated from needing to rely on God. It's actually spiritual maturity is displayed when people realize the beautiful freedom in being desperate for the Spirit. Like the air we breathe, that perhaps is what maturity is. It's like, I need the Spirit's work at me so much that I have got to breathe more deeply in my life. So our church, one of the values of our church is that we're going to be practice-based. We're not going to just be a content machine for our, our community, but we actually want to do the Christian life together. And this week, our practice is that we're going to explore what does it mean to breathe more deeply. Within the Christian tradition, there is a spiritual practice called breath prayers. 
Similar to other world religions, it's when we intentionally take deeper breaths. It's like we hack our bodies and our minds and our emotions by breathing more deeply voluntarily. But what's unique to the Christian breath prayers is not, we're not just detaching from thought or any consideration, but we are intentionally breathing in the Spirit of God. We're taking in God's presence. These breath prayers may utilize even a phrase that to meditate upon. For example, you could have a phrase you break into two different points, of two different parts when you inhale and exhale, like, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And people would sit for minutes just breathing in that simple phrase, standing in dependence and love and adoration of God, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. As they learn to breathe more deeply, God's presence. If you set aside moments like this in your day, learning to breathe, okay, good. I stepped on a cord, I thought maybe it was me. Um, I don't believe in, in spiritual warfare all my life, but with like AV stuff, it's like demons be gone, you know? Um, so if you set aside moments in your days where you learn to breathe like this, not only as science said that you're gonna flourish, but we also begin to normalize what does it mean to take in God's presence in our life. And the beautiful thing about this practice is you can do it wherever, whenever. You can take, take part in that, in any situation. In a moment of conflict, you can learn to breathe in Christ's presence. In a moment of bliss that you look around, you wish it's someone else to share it with, you can breathe in God's spirit and know that God is with you in that moment. In a, in a time of great temptation, you can breathe in God's spirit and ask for deeper control, self-control. Whether it be at the office or with friends or when you feel afraid or isolated, the spirit is there. And we can learn to breathe in, in that moment, this breath prayer. I think it's especially helpful for many of us. I think many of us have a secret that we don't share with people, which is we don't really know how to pray. I find that few people who follow Jesus have been taught what does it mean to pray I think breath prayers are a great beginning where we just normalize what is it like to sit in the presence of God just like a child and just breathe in God's nearness and become familiar with God's presence. We can begin by breathing. And I think after we get used to that, conversation comes more naturally. The notebook that you guys have, were given uh, last week, and if you don't have one, we, we can give one to you on the way out, or you can look at it online. We'll walk you through each day this week as we explore different types of breath prayers, and our encouragement to you is to explore that throughout your days, uh, that we can learn what does it mean to practice these breath prayers. But today, rather than this sermon landing the plane with an impassioned conclusion or a witty illustration that you remember more than the rest of the sermon, I'd like to conclude by us just having some time to breathe together. So I'm gonna lead us in a breath prayer, and that's gonna how, that's gonna be how we're gonna close this message today. Brian, if you wanna come on up here, feel free to do so. Just take a moment now and just get comfortable. Get comfortable in your chair, sit up straight, realize how often we slouch, you know? <laughs> take your shoulders back a little bit. Get your feet flat on the floor. Just get comfortable. Take in a couple breaths. And perhaps just begin by thanking God for the gift 
of breath. And now see if you can actually breathe more deeply. See if there's greater capacity, if there's more space in you to take in air. And if you're comfortable with it, I'd invite you to open your hands. And as you inhale deeply, just ask the Spirit to fill you. Focus on your exhale as you're with Christ Spirit right now. Just consider anything inside of you that you are just ready to release. Something you're holding on to, whether emotions or thoughts, or fear, anxiety, a longing for control, or unforgiveness, or sorrow. Breathe in God's presence and release that all to God's care. God's love. 
presence filling you and reminding you who you are. Just rest in it. God is as close to you as your breath. The Spirit surrounds you and dwells in you, longs to fill you. Receive the Spirit. May we learn to breathe again. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about the vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to the Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.